Welcome, Traveler, to Dungeons and Dialectics, the synthesis of tabletop role-playing games, philosophy, and theology. On today's episode, we are doing Fudging the Dice. Should you do it? Should you abstain from doing it? Should you sometimes do it? I have no idea. Let's find out. Joe, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Matt. Uh, what a fantastic introduction. I'm wondering if before we jump into uh, maybe story time, why don't you tell us what it what it even means to fudge the dice for the neophytes among us? Well, um, so here is my, my thought on fudging the dice. It's when you kind of like roll your dice, you know? Yes. And uh, you obscure your result to the DM, whether through deceptive means or some other, you know, useful trickery. And you make it appear that you've done better than you have, and you get a success on the back of that. Or, you know, I suppose there are alternate scenarios where it would be not quite like success. Like maybe you up the damage you did in combat or something. But, mm-hmm. but that's what I think of when I hear fudging the dice. I think about lying. Now that is that is fascinating because that has literally never occurred to me as as a way of understanding fudging the dice. Because I have only ever thought about fudging the dice in the context of being the dungeon master. Mm-hmm. Well, you're the, that's right. I, I play like, I don't barely I mostly play. Yeah. Well, I yeah. barely play anymore. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm busy, but well, you don't really know how to play. So that's right. I don't. So tell me about <laughs> being a DM. I mean, well, do you, what do you, what do you think of when you hear fudging the dice, Joe, what do you think of? So when I hear fudging the dice and there's a reason we say, we don't say like cheating or like making up new numbers, but you fudge it because if I roll something as the dungeon master and it's not quite the number that I want. I might just up it a little bit, or I might just mm-hmm. change the result just a little. It's fudged, as it were. No, that's not and, what I do. I lie and, to my DM. And the reason, and the reason behind that is that, um, for whatever reason, you as the dungeon master have decided what sort of outcome you want from this dice roll. So you just change the numbers to achieve whatever outcome it is you have decided. Okay, and I should clarify, from the player perspective, there is one phenomenon that we won't be talking about, which is this. It's when you roll your dice as a player, you misreport the results because you don't understand the mechanics. <laughs> and then when you talk, the, when you realize, like, five minutes later you fucked up, you think, wow, I'm not going to bring this up because it's going to be a total clusterfuck, so I'm just going to go with it. Uh, yeah. That is not fudging the dice. That's what we call a <laughs> mat maneuver. <laughs> the map maneuver that's right um considering how long it already takes a round of combat to go there's you know there's like no point in just bringing it up and being like hey we need to redo my entire turn right a good player like a good dm i think is sensitive to game flow you know what i mean like you're working with your dm to create a fun experience for yeah. everyone so if you're a good player and you're attentive you're thinking okay um, I fucked up or, you know, maybe I calculated too, like over or under or whatever. Would my bring this up now five minutes later or two minutes later be conducive to a good play experience? Uh, probably not. Then you omit it. Yeah. That's a great point. You know, we're all kind of working together. And by the same token, a good dungeon master is not going to, like if it's brought up, is just going to hand wave it usually and yeah. say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really that matter that much whether you did five or 15 points of damage We're just going to move on because it's not worth it. But the question then becomes, is a good DM the person that does that intentionally, that adjusts the outcome based on 
um, based on what they want rather than what the dice have revealed. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yep. Matt, do you want to do you want to start us off with a story or should I? I think you should because my story was just going to be me talking about how I fuck up all the time. I see, I see. Like most of Matt's stories. Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you what, Matt. There was this one time in our sophomore year of college. Oh boy. Yeah, it was our sophomore. No, it was our junior year of college, yeah. and we had this we had this whole combat where the players had been followed back to their inn by these assassins that were from this cult of faceless people. And so their their whole cult was they worshipped this god of, or this demon lord of ooze, and so they would burn off their faces with acid. It's like super fucking metal. Um, and so the assassins follow them back to the inn, and they try to assassinate them in the middle of the night. And so there's this huge, like, epic combat in these like close quarters with these guys who are like flanking and sneak attacking and like shooting acid at them and like some have some spells and some have some blades and one by one the party's like falling because in the first round with the sneak attack we knocked like one of them unconscious and then one another one goes down a couple of the assassins go down until finally it's just um i think it's sigurd vardvar was the character versus the vardvar Sigurd Vardvor. Vardvor. Vardvor, exactly. And he's facing down the last faceless assassin. He's the only one who's up. And the faceless assassin strikes him. And he hits. And I roll the dice. And I roll them. And I roll them in front of everyone. And the dice add up to exactly the number of hit points that Sigurd has left. Now wait, you say, Matt. Wait. That means... Oh. Sorry, you can try again. Now wait. That means what? That means he's he's unconscious, right? Yeah, that's that's what it means. It's not though, because back in 3.5, different edition, I know most of our listeners probably either don't play or they play 5th edition. Most of our listener probably plays whatever we're playing cuz I think our listener is is a <laughs> <laughs> plays with us frequently. <laughs> I think um that is that is fair. Our listeners probably play exactly what we play. <laughs> oh gosh. Um donate to our Patreon. Anyway, in 3.5, when you hit zero hit points, you don't die. You become what is called staggered. And so you can only take one action per round. And if you take a standard action, if you like attack, if you cast a spell, if you do something, if you exert yourself. You suffer one point of damage, and then you go unconscious. So in 3.5, you're you're unconscious when you have negative hit points, and when you reach a certain amount of hit points, you die. Okay. So it's a little bit of a different system. He gets down to zero hit points, and he, with his last action, he attacks the assassin. He rolls the dice, and the assassin goes unconscious just as he drops unconscious, and everyone's un- unconscious until the innkeeper finds them, and like resuscitates them. And what what Sigurd's player said to me was, Joey, if you had not rolled that out in the open, I never would have believed that it actually was rolled. Mm, because he thought that you were gonna he thought that you were helping him out. In a sense, when you think about the dramatic pacing of the scene, and when you think about the fun that people yeah. are having, like no one wants to die in some random assassin encounter like total party kill yeah and as much as as much as dungeon masters and players like to joke around and have 
a somewhat antagonistic relationship, usually the dungeon master wants the players to succeed. Um, so it would make perfect sense for me to spare his life in some epic, like, you take you have one chance to take this guy down. But it really just happened that way, just as the dice fell. That's crazy, man. I, can, I don't have a story about, like, a time someone fudged the dice. I have a story about a time someone would have fudged the dice, however fate intervened in such a way that they didn't. Mmm, tell me. Okay, so in one of our campaigns... Max was playing Ivan Lagasse, who's like this disgusting slime man. I mean, he's like a normal man. He's just disgusting. So I think thought of him as yeah, a slime yeah. man, you know. So it was a lot like Max in real life. He's, um, I would say that he didn't start out that way, but he quickly became a lot like Max in real life. Yeah. Got it. So Max had to like leave town for many, uh, was it many months? I think he was just leaving town for like a month or two months. And maybe he got was tired of his character too. I don't know. But uh, we were doing this sort of like, mission in the town he had come from and we didn't really know that much about his backstory and it turned out that there was like this big slime pit in the middle of the forest next to his town the townsfolk were making sacrifices to it yada 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 one of those stories and because max was leaving town he was killed by like this shade of his niece whom he had uh, abandoned you know to the monsters in the woods or something like that some shit like that and under normal circumstances, I think this is one of those instances where a DM would have fudged the dice to keep Max alive. Because mm. it wasn't like he was intentionally yeah. killed. You know what I mean? It's, he just mm -hmm. happened, happened to get an unlucky roll. So I guarantee you, Dan, who was the DM, would have fudged the dice had Max not been leaving. Mm -hmm. But he was leaving, so he allowed him to die. Well, then I wonder also, might Dan have fudged... Might Dan have fudged the dice to kill him? Because he's leaving. Yeah, maybe, actually. That's an interesting point. So what's so in both of these stories, I guess the, the Dungeon Master already has in mind sort of what they're hoping will happen. Yeah. I, of course, when I'm running this encounter and the party's getting assassinated, I want the party to win. So the question is, if, like, would I have changed the dice if the dice came up and had killed Sigurd Vardvor? Um, I think you would have. You think I would have? I think you would have, because you're a pussy. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is um, that's a great point. I I am, <laughs> I am kind of a pussy. I don't know where I'm going with this. So I'm right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I I do I wouldn't have because I rolled in front of everybody. Yeah. And that's sort of a technique. That's one of these things that dungeon masters can do. Is in in general, it's accepted that the dungeon master can roll behind the behind the the screen, because the players don't necessarily know what numbers are coming up for NPCs or monsters or whatever. They just need to be told by the dungeon master, well, that's a hit, that's a miss, that's a whatever. They don't necessarily need to know, to peer behind the curtain. And that gives the dungeon master some latitude to fudge the dice. And that is an intentional sort of like design of the system. Whereas a player, for example, players in general are, if not discouraged, Definitely not like allowed. Well, that's why if you're a, if you're a player, what you want to do is like you roll it on the table, and then if, if you, things are looking down, you like accidentally spasm your arm and knock the die on the floor, and you say, "Oh shit, my let me do it again." Got to re-roll. Got to re-roll, well, boys. When um, you know, when we were kids, I mean, like very young kids, and my brother and I would play. He would always come to the the table having rolled all eighteens. Um, oh wow, he's for good. his um, yeah. Well, he's a he was cheating. He was fudging the dice. That's not cheating. 
No. Well, here's... <laughs> this was definitely cheating. Because sometimes, and this is why I never use fudging the dice to refer to what players are doing, because there's this idea in the game that because you have a dungeon master who is the all-powerful facilitator who decides exactly what happens and who interprets the events of the um, the story, uh-huh. the dungeon master cannot cheat. Oh, this is interesting. This is like that principle that the president can't do anything illegal. Yes, except it's different because yeah. the president is the president of the United States and they you know, can like launch nukes into other countries. And the dungeon master, just like you kind of put them in charge for an afternoon. And if they suck, you like leave or I don't know, you tell them to fuck off Yeah. and they, they probably will. Yeah. Cause we have no like actual power. We just like for like, I don't know, four hours on a Saturday afternoon, everybody kind of says, okay, we'll listen to max monologue for a, for a bit. I never listen to max. I just check my phone. Oh, yeah, me too, but it's really... And then it gets really annoying because I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, um, I know, I know. <laughs> Same. And then uh, someone else has to explain it to us. And someone else, even the people who have paid attention, this is a thing. They don't know what's going on either. Well, I've developed quite a few techniques for, like, if I don't know what's going on, I'll just, like, I'll worm my way in and figure out without admitting I didn't pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> there was um, there was one game that I was playing with some of my friends from high school, but like after high school, like they just came from high school, and I'm sorry, this is just some friends, and we're playing, and the dungeon master is telling us about this thing, and it's like really diving deep into the lore, and I I don't know the lore of this particular world that we're playing in, so, so I messaged like, I messaged yeah well, I messaged one of the other players, and I was like John, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> And John messages back, I don't know what's going on either. <laughs> and so I, being a good player, was like, well, we got to figure out what's going on. So I told our dungeon master, hey, John doesn't know what's happening. Could you please re-explain everything to him? Oh, my God. That sounds like something I would do. And then John, this asshole, threw me under the bus. What? He told them that I didn't know what was going on either. Oh, my God. You, you didn't do that. You didn't play it right. I know, I know. I really should have. I should not have trusted John. To you should have sprung it on John, out. like asked John a question to reveal that he wasn't paying attention. <laughs> that would have been smart. That would. Have been, yeah. I would not. He wouldn't have been able to as quickly deflect onto me. So, question for you: You're the okay. philosopher. Oh. Should the dungeon master ever fudge the dice? Okay. Um. Thanks for asking. <laughs> um. I think that. Forget morality, because it might not be the case. <laughs> it might not I be the like, case. What? That's like the entire question. Is it moral to... No, no, no. Dice? I think that we should talk about... So, like, you could say... No, I don't think this is even a moral question. I mean, like, does this rise up to the level of morality? Maybe. But I think it's more interesting almost to ask, within the subdomain of, like, having fun with your friends and creating a satisfying mechanical experience and playing, you know, a game or whatever, should they ever do this? And then you can ask, like, the higher order question, does it make, like, moral sense? Like, I'm not, I'm not sure if this is really a moral question, but I do think, I would put it like this. I think that the DM always has a first order defeasible reason like he has a reason always a moral reason or practical reason whatever you want to call it to not fudge the dice okay 
But I think that that reason can be defeated by other reasons. So let's say that we're in this scenario. Like, the DM should almost always not fudge the dice, I think. However, let's say we're in some scenario where, like you were saying, this guy was going to die and it didn't make good narrative sense for him to die. And we're not running that kind of campaign where people, it's like anyone could die at any moment. People don't expect to die. I think you would then have a higher order reason about the sort of perception of the structure of the game and what have you and maintaining a good game space to fudge the dice there. Because, like, that higher-order reason would defeat the lower-order reason uh, to, to abstain from fudging the dice. That, I think, is a really long and complicated explanation. But I think you arrived at something, like, really nice and succinct, if I might paraphrase, that the primary goal is to create a satisfying gaming experience, whatever that looks like for your group, and kind of a sub goal of that is to not fudge the dice. Yeah. Um, you need I'm to gonna... keep a strict mechanical structure in mm. which players expect there to be real resistance to what they do. If you're always yeah. fudging the dice every session, multiple times a session, even whatever, there's no reality to the mechanics. You know, you're not coming yeah. up against a structure that actually opposes you. And so ultimately the idea is that by creating a trust in the system that the things that are happening really are the results of both the players' um, actions and decisions and choices and the results of these like mechanical elements and the rolling of dice. You create that um, sort of verisimilitude that creates a satisfying game. So it's in service of this greater goal. I'm going to go ahead and read from the Dungeon Master's Guide of 5th Edition because it says what the... It sort of talks about this, about the goal of being the dungeon master. This is from the introduction. It's on page four. <laughs> okay. Oh, shit. Where'd it go? <clears throat> the D&D rules help you and the other players have a good time, but the rules aren't in charge. You're the DM, and you, italicized, are in charge of the game. That said... Your goal isn't to slaughter the adventurers, but to create a campaign world that revolves around their actions and decisions and to keep your players coming back for more. If you're lucky, the events of your campaign will echo in the memories of your players long after the final game session is concluded. I think that uh, a good way of thinking about this is in the, in the hit film, Pirates of the Caribbean, episode one. <laughs> They're talking about like uh, like pirate shit, right? You know, and at the at the pirate code, they're like, "Oh, you gotta follow the pirate code." And uh, you know, they were gonna break from the pirate code, and they said, "Well, actually, it's more like guidelines than than rules." And you know, that's like a big joke moment in the theater. Ha ha ha! You know, what does that yeah. mean? Um, <laughs> but there's actually this is a really interesting distinction. So. You could think of rules as being these commandments, like the Ten Commandments. You can't break them. Yep. You know, that's our theology for the episode. <laughs> um, yeah. They're unbreakable under any circumstance. You know what I mean? We have like mm-hmm. a conception of, of moral commandments like this. Yeah. However, um, it, I think a healthier conception of moral rules is as guidelines. That is, provide justification to do something. They provide reasons to do something. But those reasons aren't, like, indefeasible. They aren't all commanding. 
other reasons can come in and and kind of do more work, you know, and override mm-hmm. them. So yeah. I think that's what the book is really getting at with that quote you just gave is mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. You've got to pay attention to the overall function of what we're doing. Yeah. We're trying to, well, we're trying to do lots of different things. And actually, maybe this is why it's good to have a session zero so you can figure out mm-hmm. what you're going to be doing. Do you just want to have like good fun? Do you want to do something yeah. hardcore? What do you want to do? And then mm-hmm. once you as a, as a team of, of people have kind of constructed your play goal, whatever it is, that can give yeah. you insight into the conditions under which it would make sense to override the guideline of never fudging the dice. Yeah. I think that is a fantastic point. Thank you. <laughs> so I know you don't think of players fudging the dice, but I actually do think there are circumstances under which players can fudge the dice. Um, so tell me, tell me about that because you're wrong, but I'm well, curious to hear how wrong you are. <laughs> So aside from like lying in a way that helps out or whatever, um, think about this. So what if I like roll really well on something because I've min-maxed my character and I just know that I'm going to have, mm-hmm. I'm going to succeed on some role. And it's like, I know, mm-hmm. forget how I would know this, but I know as a player that this would negatively impact the flow of the game session. I think that that provides me with good reason as a player to misreport my role or, you know, like hypothetically if I could, you mm-hmm. know, because it's in the open, it's hard to do. But let's say it would be easier to do like we're playing on roll 20 or something or using like an, a dice rolling app on your phone, you know, depending on how mm-hmm. chill your session is. I think that that, if you think your role is going to negatively impact the play experience by succeeding, I'm inclined to think that that would actually give you a good reason to misreport at what you've done as a failure. Um, and then, you know, you could proceed on in that way. I see. So there's sort of a question here because that makes sense to me in theory. If the goal that we have sort of established is everybody at the table wants to create a satisfying play experience, then yeah, everybody should have the agency to do what it takes to make that happen. Right. I am, I'm a lot more sympathetic to like decide choosing to allow your character to fail rather than choosing to make them succeed. Yes, exactly. I find that, I was going to say that, is it seems like there's an intuitive, I don't know why, Mm -hmm. it seems like there's an intuitive imbalance between as a player, if I rolled a certain way and I failed, but I I thought that, or I had really good reason Mm -hmm. to think, or I even knew somehow, that like, oh, if I succeeded here, it'd be way more interesting. And I lie about that versus the other way around where like, oh, I I succeeded, but I'm like going to choose to have failed here. Yeah. It seems like the latter is permissible, whereas the former is not. Yes. And the reason, the reason I would say that is because, well, there are a few reasons. One, I think that while everybody at the table, you know, sort of enters into this almost a social contract that we're all trying to like have fun with the game and make it fun for each other. While that is true, the dungeon master ultimately is the person that is most responsible for the fun that's having being had at the table. You're ceding a little bit of your agency and power to the dungeon master in order to facilitate a good experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a certain level of trust that if you are playing with somebody who is a good dungeon master and you trust them after a certain point, you might just say, Hey, I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going to trust that the dungeon master is going to help craft this into a good story. Right. Yeah. And, and if you as the player, I think there is also the sense that, so this is the second reason 
that as a player, it can be really tempting to live out this power fantasy of, oh, I'm just the best. I'm a baller. I'm going to like win just because like I, I want to be the best and that will be the most fun for me. Right. Which is not always true, but it's like it's that sort of seductive trap that we fall into. And when we realize that, I think it makes us then more reluctant to say we succeeded when we actually didn't because we we know kind of like intuitively that that goes against sort of the spirit of the game. Yeah, I feel like lying and making yourself do worse in order to create stickier situations or whatever mm-hmm. is more in line with the spirit of the game, whereas lying yeah. to succeed is almost always going to make it easier on players, which mm-hmm. is not in tune with the spirit of the game for most So the other question that's sort of coming up for me about this is there is a difference between you, the player, saying, I want my my character wants to succeed. My character wants to leap across the chasm. But me, the player, thinks, oh, it would be more interesting and fun and dynamic and dramatic if I almost made it to the other side, but instead plummeted down like partway down this chasm into this pit of alligators or whatever. That is a different situation than the character making suboptimal decisions. Right. Even though the player is like, well, I know that if I, um, I, I know as a player that we're exploring this trap infested dungeon, but I have decided that my player is stupid and they are going to just go grab like all the gems and like the obviously trapped magical artifact. Your character is lacking intelligence or something. So he's going to make suboptimal decisions. In the mm-hmm. scenario, I, I really, you know, the way you phrased that though, like, there's something really dangerous about this, more so for players than a DM, because like, if the players start thinking they can get this autonomy over the situation because they mm-hmm. know they they want to cooperate with the DM to create like a good play experience, so like, oh, I'm gonna fudge the dice and fall into the pit or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's really kind of dangerous. I would only feel mm-hmm. comfortable suggesting that way of thinking even to like really expert long-term players who know the dm and their other people whom they're playing with really really well yeah uh i feel like it's for like a normal dungeons master scenario mm-hmm. like if you're if you get you know you get a pickup group or whatever through your local game store or something mm-hmm. i think that a little bit of fudging would make sense there i think that i would never as a player do what i just was what yeah. we just talking about unless <laughs> like extremely rare circumstances yeah, I think I think in general players should not fudge the dice because if the dice, if the dice are to be fudged, ideally the dungeon master is competent enough to do that in a way that will create fun for people. Right. Mm-hmm. Another thing about fudging the dice, um, and sort of the reasoning behind why we wouldn't do it, we talked a lot about maintaining verisimilitude. Yeah, making sure that it feels like a real, like world, and yeah. that there are rules that govern it. Because it's not as fun when you when you feel like the uh, the outcome is sort of preordained. Right. I think that just to throw a bit of th- philosophy in here. Whoa. Um, <laughs> another reason, excuse me, that someone like Immanuel Kant, who uh-huh. we talked about a couple weeks ago. What do you think Kant would say about this, Joey? Well, Kant Kant's a total buzzkill, so he doesn't. He's, Kant sucks. He doesn't like when people lie. Because his whole thing, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to summarize and Matt's going to correct me if I'm wrong. No, I'm not. Kant has this idea that the way you decide if something is moral is you take a maxim, which is basically like, I will fudge the dice. Subjective ground of willing is, I think, the technical way of describing it, although I'm not a Kant expert. It's like the principle Mm -hmm. upon which you are 
you're doing what you're doing. That's a great point to add. And I really appreciate how you interrupted me to say something that made even less sense than <laughs> the example I was giving. <laughs> okay, okay. Keep going, keep going. You're doing a good job. So you take an action that you're going to take. That's your maxim. I am going to do X or Y or Z. And you universalize it. Yeah. In this situation, people ought to do X, Y, or Z. Right. And so for him, lying is one of those things that you should never do. Right. Because... One, because when you universalize it, oh, in this situation, I should lie or people should lie, then everybody's lying all the time. It would destroy two, the, the principle that you're operating on. Like you couldn't get away with lying yeah. if everybody were lying all the time. So it's like irrational to lie or something like exactly. that. Exactly. It's almost parasitic on the truth because mm -hmm. when you lie, you are relying on the other person to believe you, yeah. to believe that truth is the default. Right. And so when you lie, you take advantage of that trust and you um, you abuse it. And so it's like, it's always an evil act, even if lying will save a life, even if lying will uh, make things better or make the, game, make the game more fun. Kant says, no, no fun for you. You have to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. So he would say, don't fudge the dice ever. And there's... There is something to that, that if your players find out that you're fudging the dice, they will stop having as much fun because they are not... They need to um, think that they're like, if they know that you're doing it, then they're going to think, mm -hmm. oh, well, are you doing it all the time? Like, It's going to create yeah. a sort of bad air around what's exactly. going on. And that's why when Sigurd strikes down the assassin... He said to me, oh, if you hadn't rolled that out in the open, I would have assumed you had fudged the dice. Right. I would assume that you were lying because I know that you lie. Look, I think that this very topic mm -hmm. actually speaks against a really strong deontology, a deontological ethics, it, where uh -huh. deont, deontic has to do with duties, right? Um, I think it speaks in favor of without saying, like, this reveals the truth of X ethical system. <laughs> um, I think it speaks in favor of, you know, something a little bit, it's something that has more leeway built into it. I mean, there's mm -hmm. going to be versions of deontology that do have this. Yeah. But Kant's probably, in and of itself, doesn't, or who knows. Yeah. I mean, people people pretend they interpret it, and they're like, oh, well, actually, if you read this sentence differently, he did blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, I think the, you know, if you're going to be a deontologist, might as well just go all the way. Like... Might as well go all the way. Don't half-ass it. That's what I'm saying, dude. If you're going to do it, just do it. I mean, don't do it because the ontology is dumb, but... If... Like, so here's what I think. From a, yeah. a So here's... The, from a utilitarian perspective, or consequentialist yep. perspective, we could say, um, mm -hmm. there's two, like, broad species of, of this kind of, of ethics. Mm -hmm. There's act consequentialism, where the right action is... The act that, you know, maximizes um, whatever the consequence you're after is. So in this case, since we've said the consequence we want is a satisfying game experience, mm -hmm. whatever act achieves that is the correct action, right? Right. And then there's rule consequentialism, rule utilitarianism, whatever, where you follow the rule that would have the greatest consequences. Um, and so I, I think that in this case... Like, it's hard to say because, okay, well, it's I think it's easier for a DM to then have the rule be something like abstain from fudging the dice unless there's some, like, higher order reason to do so. And that's mm -hmm. the rule the DM is going to follow. because yeah. And that's justified in terms of the maximization of, like, 
satisfying play experience. Yeah. I think that uh, would be the way to go with this, the way of thinking about this. Like, call it mechanical, <laughs> mechanical <laughs> rule consequentialism. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This is some cutting edge philosophy right here. So that's yeah. why to be a good DM, it's not enough to have a rule book that you follow or just some kind of intellectual intellectualistic mm-hmm. conception of what you ought to be doing. You need to DM a lot to acquire yeah. the skills to know when to do things, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You can you can read as many books as you want. You can watch as many videos on YouTube. You can listen to as many stupid podcasts as you feel like. Mm. Preferably this one. Yeah. But until you actually start dungeon mastering, <clears throat> Matt, <gasps> it becomes it becomes difficult to develop those skills more. Yeah. Also, I think that you need to be good at improv, but that's just me. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, I also have a fondness for improv because I did improv in high school. Me much too, like you. baby. Yeah, except we had a, our team didn't have a stupid name. My um, team was great. I could have been a team- pro. I and and now and now you're an academic. I could so have think... gone pro. Yeah, well, I'm okay, but I'm an academic and we're doing this comedy academic podcast. Comedy academic yes. podcast about uh fucking D&D or whatever. So, you know what? I, I'm hoping this will be like my my come around. <laughs> I can quit the academy and we Your can big break. Yeah, I'm hoping we can qu- I can quit my job and we can do this. <laughs> yeah. I um I'm really glad that you mentioned this as a comedy podcast cuz I am worried sometimes that the viewers can't or the listeners can't tell. It's a comedy podcast. Hey, hey, uh, go fuck yourself. Hey, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. You smell bad. Oh, clearly our improv training has really paid off. <laughs> Scene. There's one thing that I was thinking that I wanted to just bring up and see what you thought. Yeah. Matt, yeah. Is we've talked a lot about fudging the dice and when it's okay and why you would. And I think mostly we've been focusing on you usually fudge the dice when you want to help the players. Yeah. As a dungeon master, I mean. What if you want like, to harm oh, them? Well, that's my question. Okay. Because I will say, and, you know, I hope my players aren't listening too close, but yeah. every once in a while, I will fudge the dice in favor of the enemies, the yeah. monsters, the NPCs. Especially if, for example... If there's some sort of like super cool ability that I want, excuse me, that I want the the players to know about or to experience or to face or to frighten them, sometimes I will, I'll just bump up the attack bonus a little bit for just that thing. Or I'll say, oh, um, like they'll all roll their saving throws and the lowest roll will like just have beaten the, the difficulty of the saving throw. And I'll say, I'll just bump up the saving throw one number. Now, that's dangerous because if you forget that you bumped it up and then somebody else succeeds where the other person fails, the players will know. So you got to be careful. Joey, I think that all of the things we've all of the things we've already said about like helping players, I think, applies to hindering players or making things harder for them insofar as having a hard time is just as important to a realistic um fun uh like well manufactured well 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 uh structured game experience yeah as doing well under certain circumstances Mm -hmm. there's a good book about this that i've read a while ago so i don't remember the details that well but it's called the art Mm -hmm. of failure by jesper yule who's i think scandinavian so i think i'm pronouncing his name right 
and that's it's it, that's about video games, not tabletop games. But he is like a game theorist. You know what I mean? He's like a scholar of games, so he actually works in academia. Yeah. And um, his thesis is just you know, it's an exploration of the essentiality of failure as a sort of necessary condition of making a good game in general. Maybe necessary is too strong. Let's say it's a paradigmatic feature of good games. That they mm. that failure and difficulty are live options within those games. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, as you mentioned a lot earlier in the podcast, that players will enjoy encountering resistance. Yeah. And, you know, maybe not in the moment, they'll like, they'll like whine about it. But if you do a good balance, then they will, they will appreciate then having overcome that. If they believe that the resistance is in fact like actual resistance. Right. Well, so like think about in so I'm more familiar with video games than I'm tabletop games. Yeah, that's fine. Just think about um the popularity of something like Dark Souls, okay? Yeah. Uh when it came out it was like kind of a it it didn't get immediate recognition but it quickly did. Mm-hmm. Like so it, it took a, took a, like a little bit, but it it became this huge phenomenon. Why? Um, well, it's it's not like the a Maso core game is is what we would call mm-hmm. it, you know, like I want to be the guy or like Kaizo Mario levels where it's ultra difficult and ultra punishing. It's really mm-hmm. hard, um, and the challenge is, you know, in virtue of constructing a sort of believable world. Um, yeah, it became popular because the tendency in game design and video game design at that period, right around when it came out. Like, for a good example, I think Skyrim came out the same day or the same month as Dark Souls 1. Hey, Matt. Yeah. Are you walking around? No, why? Oh, you just, like, the audio changed. Oh, you know what? I, I, I swiveled. Okay. Oh, God. So, so, I think Skyrim came out the same day or same month as Dark Souls 1. And that is an extremely casual, like, really easy game. It's, like, impossible to fail. <laughs> unless you, unless you, and I'm, it's a great game. It's, like, a brilliant yeah. game, 10 out of 10 game. But it's not, um, it's very casual, and in a way it was the mm-hmm. sort of um, zenith of casualization of, of yeah. games. Well, maybe not the zenith, but at that time period, everything was becoming very easy, very accessible. Like, the Wii was a huge success, and its games are very mm-hmm. accessible. And I am no enemy of accessible games, if that's what yeah. you want. However, I think mm-hmm. paradigmatically, good games do have an element of difficulty and failure. So yeah. I think that um, the time was ripe in video games to reintroduce like a certain kind of strong resistance against player agency. And mm-hmm. that's why that game succeeded. And I think tabletop games are also very hardcore in a way because there's a lot of room for players to fuck up. Yeah. You know, and you've got to recall that as a DM that you're not just trying to make them have fun currently at that one moment. Mm-hmm. You're trying to create a like a yeah a, a long-term enjoyable experience that's going to be yep. spread out over months and maybe years and in order for that yep. to happen it needs to be challenging yep i think that's a fantastic point there was a moment in one of our one of our sessions that was not fun okay oh it was so well it was fun for me yeah um but the players had this meeting with the king and so the king came to meet them in the middle of the town square, everyone can see this meeting happening. And people are gathered around because they're like, wow, the king is meeting with these like heroes. What's going to happen? Are they going to talk? Are they going to fight? What's going to happen? And one of the players passed their will save and realized 
the king wasn't actually there. The king had sent an illusion of himself mm. to have this meeting. And he decided that the way he was going to very dramatically reveal that the king was not actually there was he pulled out a knife oh, no. and threw his knife at the king's face. Yeah. Which poorly thought out plan. Just like reach your hand through the guy or whatever. Um, but so the king sees or the king knows that this knife is coming. And so he adjusts the illusion. So the knife hits him in the face or like an illusory knife right. hits him in the face and he starts like bleeding out and he's like, oh no, an assassination attempt. I thought that we could work together, but I guess not. Public enemy number one. Oh and God. everybody runs. They clear the square and like the guards show up to like attack the players and the king disappears. And the rest of the players, right? Because I, I sent this person a private message when they passed their will save because everyone else failed. Call him and a, so the rest like of the players. Him? You're like, what a dumb, what a dumb move. No, I sent him the message saying this was a saying this was an illusion. Oh, I see. But the okay. other players didn't know. So they're like, dude, what the fuck did you just do? <laughs> did, you, did they know he had passed his will save, though? They had no idea. They did uh, okay. not understand what his Okay, so they didn't even was. know. Because like, if they knew that he had passed his will save, they, I think I would have maybe inferred that something <laughs> was, was amiss. But No, they had no idea. They were so fucking pissed. <laughs> and so they, they like ran off and they're like, they're like, dude, why the fuck would you do this? And he's explaining, oh, no, he's an illusion. And they're like, just tell us. Don't throw the knife at the guy's face. <laughs> but, yeah, they were they did not have fun. That's, they oh, were, that's so funny. They were really upset. And the next, the, it was the longest, like, 45 minutes of game I have probably ever played. Because it was just, it was just one of the guys saying, how could you do this? How could you? He's like, this is so he's, stupid. he's looking at his hands. How could you? <laughs> like, how could you? Um, and the other guy's trying to like apologize, but also be like, it wasn't really that stupid. And I think it was merely sort of stupid. It was merely sort of stupid. I, yeah, I think it was not. It was not fun. I think this is a good lesson for players out there. If any are listening, you gotta try to train yeah. yourself to just not to get that upset when things don't go your way. I know that if you're like a newer yeah. player, it's really easy to get upset if something bad happens. But if you trust your DM. Mm-hmm and you're friendly with them, you know, and you know that, like, the general orientation of the game, you just have to trust that, like, hard, difficult, painful things happening are for the greater good of the campaign and just yeah. be chill about it because it will, it's to your benefit to allow those kinds of things to happen, ultimately. Um, and mm-hmm. if you get all upset about it, it just is not fun to play with you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> totally true. I think we are kind of wrapping up. We're getting to the end of the, the episode. Why don't what do you what do you think the takeaways are if you could synthesize them for us? Yeah, I think the takeaway is that fudging the dice for a DM is acceptable, but it should be something that they don't rely on in order to create a mm-hmm. realistic game world. It should be the default assumption that the rules will be followed across the board. Mm-hmm. For a player, it's much much rarer that I would feel comfortable saying that they should do this if ever. And mm-hmm. it's something that like only an expert seasoned player should maybe even consider doing because yeah. And if they're the kind of, if they're that kind of player, they won't consider it. It will just appear to them naturally because they'll be like an, that expert. Um, and uh, I think that's mostly it. And like difficulties, yeah. difficulties good in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I would add on to it is, you know, the way that you determine whether it's an appropriate moment to violate this sort of 
kind of like default of not fudging is just going back to the sort of primary goal, which is creating a satisfying gaming experience, whatever that looks like for your group. Gotta have a session zero. That's the most important thing you can do. Gotta have a, you know, all of, all of your problems will be solved by session zero. Right. Yeah. That and reading lots of philosophy. No, don't do that. <laughs>